gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Welcome back to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. I am your host today, David Campbell, um, and we're very excited to be here. We're going to look at a very exciting topic women's rivalries in wrestling we're going to break down some of the greatest women's rivalries of all time but before you listen to this show don't forget go and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, other podcast networks that are escaping me right now i'm so excited go and check us out on socials we've got twitter instagram facebook at suplex retweet go to the eat sleep suplex retweet community page join us over there you can get right in with all the action view all our posts and that um, and go over to our YouTube channel. We've got a lot of great shows over there, if I do say so myself. Uh, the Conspiracy Theory is over there. Book It's over there. And don't forget about Quiz Showdown. Quiz Showdown 5 just came out. Uh, and I'm being told that there's a very special Christmas edition in the works from Daniel Campbell over there. So it's all very exciting. But don't forget, guys, this comes out um, on a Tuesday. Our flagship show, ESSR Central, comes out on a Thursday. So if you're listening to this, be sure to tune in two days later. We run down the week that was in wrestling it's always a good time make sure you check out all the content here at eat sleep suplex retweet but let's meet the panel talking of women's wrestling this man is the stephanie uh, of eat sleep suplex retweet he's overbearing you know it, it, you know he keeps calling us b plus players and sometimes the fans just wish he would stop talking it's of course stephen wilson wilson how are you doing today <laughs> yeah, I'm surrounded by a bunch of B plus players. There's a few D minus players in there as well, you know, and then there's uh, the McLeods, so bad. <laughs> oh, David, I'm out. And I'll see this as I'm alright. Oh, I'm all good. I'm all right. In all seriousness, it's okay. It's about seven out of ten. Let's not let's not over exaggerate it. Um, you know, this man has a, a huge connection uh, with the woman who was formerly known as the Hugger. Um, she has torn his life upside down. He is sporting her hair, her headband today. It'll be interesting to see if he can bring himself to bring Bailey up on this show. It is, of course, Gary Kernan. Oh, good morning, guys. Uh, like the world was a lot simpler. When Bailey was a hugger, just just putting it out there, we didn't have any contested elections, we didn't have any global health pandemics, the world was a much nicer place back then. <laughs> indeed it was, indeed it was. And also we have a man, perhaps the only person who can challenge Lacey Evans' own hat collection. Uh, I am of course talking about the man who fights for the women's right, it is David Hockney. Hey, don't be jealous because they like what they see. I mean, I've rocked the hat way better than Lacey Evans ever could. Oh, wow. I love that so much. Well, anyway, guys, the way we're going to break this down, it's always going to be like a show of two halves. Everyone is going to, uh, on this panel, is going to give what they think is one of the better or best women's rivalries of all time. We will put out to a Twitter poll uh, to you guys out there so you can give your thoughts on who you think won that first round. And then we're going to do it all over again. So we're going to discuss what we feel are the eight best women's rivalries in wrestling today. And to kick us off, it is going to go to Mr. Gary Kernahan. Gary, the floor is yours. What do you think is one of the best women's rivalries of all time? Oh, hi, guys. Um... It's interesting. I've been looking forward to talking about this topic because one of my criticisms about the booking of women's wrestling is there are very, in my opinion, there are very few 
feuds that don't involve the championship. And I think that's one of the weaknesses that all the stories seem to revolve around the championships. I picked a story to start with, which is five years in the making. It now involves the championship, but doesn't, in my view, is one of the few rivalries that actually is bigger than the championship, doesn't need the championship. The first one I want to talk about is Sasha Banks and Bailey. So we think back to you know when this when this feud kind of started. We go back to 2015. We had uh, Sasha and Bailey entering the women's championship pictures in NXT starting back in February of 2015. Uh, revival, where sorry, rival, sorry, uh, excuse me, when they were part of that fatal four way with Charlotte, Sasha, uh, Becky Lynch making up the the four and. Um, Sasha scores the pinfall over Charlotte in that match to become the championship and she would go on to defend the championship or um, another or be in the championship picture for another two takeovers starting in August at TakeOver Brooklyn where she faced Bailey and a, a, a fantastic match. I think a match, if I remember rightly, that was voted match of the year. It was the first arena takeover and um, Bailey uh, comes out of that as the champion and then goes on to defend the championship at TakeOver Respect, a show that we've just... Uh, reviewed uh, five years on as one of our feature shows and they fought in actually one of my favourite Iron Man, Iron Woman matches which was uh, the main event of the show, the first women's match, the main event, an NXT show and actually the first women's match of any note to main event anything under the WWE banner since Trish and Lita done it before. A fantastic match. I just there's so much about that I could spend so long talking about this match. There's so much about it that I absolutely loved. Um, Bailey emerges victorious three to two but storytelling in this match, Sasha was the the you know best heel that you could be. Loved it. Uh, we then see both ladies make their way onto the main roster in the different times. And round about, starting round about WrestleMania 33, we've seen so many opportunities where it looked like WWE was going to pull the trigger and have one of them turn on the other ones. And in that instance, it would probably would have been Sasha turning in heat and Bailey. We had Bailey, the victorious Raw Women's Championship at Re- champion at WrestleMania 33. We then um, seen Bailey lose the championship um, to Alexa Bliss, but then at SummerSlam that year, Sasha beats Alexa only to lose it the, the following night. There could have been a story there of dissension between the two of them. Excuse me. We've seen, uh, going into 2017, we've seen Sasha eliminate Bailey in the Royal Rumble. We've seen Sasha betray Bailey in the Elimination Chamber, which ultimately led to Alexa Bliss. Uh, coming in victorious. I never understand why they do that. It's like the Bellas did at the Royal Rumble. Eliminate your uh, Asker in that instance and then fight it out. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes no sense whatsoever. So no sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, so we had all these opportunities of the, where they could have pulled the trigger and they never pulled the trigger, which then led us on to the formation of the Boss and Hug Connection, which we'd seen a little bit over, over the years anyway. Um, I mean, Bailey's uh, debut on the main roster came back in uh, Battleground 2016 when uh, she appeared as um, as Bailey's mystery, sorry, Banks' mystery partner to take on uh, Charlotte and Dana Brooke. 
Yeah. Imagine Dana Brooke was something back in the day where you needed it and you needed honors to cancel her out. Yeah, it's Dana. It's Dana. It's Dana. <laughs> so they had the wee run as the tag champs, and you thought at the time, well, maybe this is where it's going to end, but then it didn't really. But then what it did lead us into was was Bailey's heel turn, which broke everybody's hearts, minds especially. Um, and we've seen the formation of the Golden Roll models. And really, these two, I think, were, you know, 2020 MVPs for WWE. They, they really carried so much of the show. They were phenomenal. And when the trigger was pulled for the two of them, it wasn't Sasha turning on Bailey. It was Bailey turning on Sasha, which then led to the showdown at Hell in the Cell and a really, really enjoyable, vicious Hell in the Cell match. Um, I think if we learned anything from that, it's probably not a great idea when you're in the middle of the match to try and gaffer tape some kendo sticks together. <laughs> but this is a story that's to be continued. They're on, they're sort of going off to do something different just now, but they will come back together. They've got unfinished business mm. uh, as far as the SmackDown Women's Championship is concerned. But for me, this is a feud that I picked out. There's a there's a richness of story here. There's so much that could delve into, and I really don't think they need the championship to do it. So it took us a long time to get there for them to actually come face to face. They could have pulled the trigger, you know, three years earlier, and we just had a, a, a fantastic story. So this is the reason, you know, five years in the making, why I've gone for Slash and Daily. A really strong start from Gary there, Stephen. I'm going to come to you. Obviously, we discussed the importance of Sasha versus Bailey in NXT, um, not just uh, in terms of their feuds, in terms of women's wrestling as a whole and taking that next step uh, under the WWE umbrella. Um, just to reiterate that point, Stephen, what was it about Sasha versus Bailey in NXT that captivated the minds and hearts of fans everywhere? Uh, I think at the point of time you had you know the polar opposites of the good and evil spectrum in the wrestling thing you had Sasha Banks who was a peak work as a heel as the boss yeah. just running the show you know kind of like when she came out of those that takeover show she was like a mafia leader the way she came yeah. out in that car and then you've got Bailey wholesome lovable hugger innocent type idea you know it's kind of like this person should not beat that person you know but it was kind of something about it it was just a the dynamics of it, the yeah, kind of what. But I, I think it was also just more the actual in-ring chemistry between the two of them. I mean, uh, when we talked about it on that respect show, obviously this was bef- this was before the Hell in the Cell match we just seen, and I just think the two of them just naturally know how to work with each other. You know, I mean, the Hell in the Cell match, uh, gaffer tape, gaff, gaffer tape, gaff aside, is <laughs> uh, probably one of the best matches this year. You know, under any banner. One of the know. better Hell ma- Hell in the Cell matches as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've seen the, the Hell in the Cell. Sorry, Steve. No, you go, Gary. Sorry. We've seen so many Hell in the Cell matches where we've had a, a stipulation that needed a match. This arguably was one of the only matches that deserved the stipulation. Yeah. I, I, I would argue that it probably came a wee bit early in their feud, but I didn't mind seeing it. Yeah, totally, and that's, I think that's one of the things about, we've talked about Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, and it was a good match, but if you could just move that Hell in a Cell further on, you know, if you could have saved that maybe for a better time. Uh, Dave, don't want to be too negative about it, but I think Gary alluded to it um, in 
you know, as initial pitch there, that there were a lot of times where they could have pulled the trigger on Bailey versus Sasha, and they didn't. Obviously, we got the, the Hell in a Cell moment. They didn't lead to too much. They were in the Battle Royal that year. Uh, we had the return um, of a WWE legend and future first ballot Hall of Famer, and Dr. Shelby, um, during this storyline. <laughs> um, so what what do you think about, do you think that middle period of Sasha and Bailey and their story damages the legacy of this rivalry in any way, or do you think it was necessary? necessary to get to the place that we are now. I think it did damage it in some aspect because there was there was that key moment in the 2018 Elimination Chamber when Sasha kicked Bailey off of the pod. And right. I thought, oh my gosh, that this is an ideal setup to have a, a future singles feud, uh, especially at a time, you know, those two in particular, you know, needed the, the big boost along with Becky Lynch, you know, at least give some of them a bit more of a prominent role with WrestleMania season around the corner because obviously the big feud going into that was Charlotte versus Asuka and then you also had the the emergence of Ronda Rousey as well so uh, and it was just a really a really big missed opportunity to having to delay it you know for another couple of years you know have them reunite as a tag team and then only uh have the feud pay off in 2020 mm-hmm. and it, but it reminds me so much of what could have what they could have done with it given what they did in nxt like that that match in brooklyn is still arguably my number one women's match of all time that wwe's ever produced i would i would only argue that with i prefer the respect match i've I've been on record saying that so Mm -hmm. i I don't think you're too wrong it's it's still in my top five certainly but i do prefer the respect match but we had we did have to wait for it but it did certainly pay off gary's alluded to you know the run of the golden role models has been some of my favorite you know character work in wwe recent memory i think the stuff they were doing shouting at cole shouting at graves at, at ringside and contract was so entertaining made use of that empty arena um, format, but enough about the past and the present, Gary. You said this rivalry is still ongoing. I think there's a future here, and there's been a lot of debate internally in the pod about what's going to happen with the SmackDown Women's Championship at WrestleMania. But I'm going to ask you outright: Is Sasha versus Bailey for the title at WrestleMania the true payoff to this rivalry between the two? I think so. I think the the two of them deserve, based on their body of work, they deserve that big spotlight that big payoff mm. and uh, for Bailey, this would be probably her biggest I know she defended successfully defended the title at Mania 33 uh, a one-on-one singles match with meaning at the next Mania with Sasha I think that would be a career highlight for for Bailey mm. uh, I think it's deserving it I'm pleased that WWE seems to have found a way to extend this feud so it looks like they're going to go off and do something else for a wee while and yeah. look like i mean i would put money in bailey i'd purchase her put some money in bailey winning the royal rumble yeah. and and then uh, then we're off to the races yeah totally and you don't even need to have them interact directly before that you know you can have Bailey just sort of that spectre in the distance that Sasha knows she'll need to deal with again if she gets through uh, the rogues gallery of the Smackdown women's division maybe she has to go through Tamina again who oh. knows <laughs> what could happen on the road to Wrestlemania Speaking I'll of put the butts road- in the seats <laughs> 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 Speaking of the road to WrestleMania, it's going to come to my first pick uh, for the greatest rivalry of all time, and this one is certainly, um, this one is certainly 
the thing that really stuck with me because I started watching wrestling in 2006, as you all know, round about WrestleMania 22 time. And the only thing I could think of is how great is this dominant champion Trish Stratus and how sick is this stalker known as Mickey James and that is the rivalry that I'll be discussing here. Obviously this started, it was an interesting start to it because I, I actually didn't realise Trish was out with an injury but they didn't vacate the Women's Championship. They just had Raw go on without the Women's Champion eh, for a period of some months ignoring that 30 day um, non-compete clause but when she came back this was when we got the Mickey James character introduced as Trish Stratus' biggest fan and you could tell she's you know she's trying to be nice about it but she's still still not quite sure she doesn't she doesn't really know what's happening um that really really picks up a gear though um they go into this team together so Stratus comes to some acceptance of her and we get to the Boxing Day episode of Raw in 2005 uh, when Mickey James tries to kiss um, Trish under the mistletoe and this is this first sign that we're getting this sort of um, really obsessive romance angle between the two um, and whether it's tastefully done or not and, and hindsight is something you can acknowledge but at the time it was really good TV you know this was, this was the soap opera content that we're, we were desperately wanting and I desperately want my wrestling um, but the relationship continues they actually have a title match first at New Year's Re Revolution, which Trish ends up beating Mickey. It's also a very good match. Uh, people talk about their future encounters, but this is a really good one-on-one -on -one moment um, between the two. Um, but James' obsession continued, and eventually Trish tells her, no, you need to go. I need my space from you. This is too much. This is over. We're done, Mickey. Um, which leads to Mickey staging a kidnapping. Um, as you do, she kidnaps Ashley, um, of all people, um, in a big massive Christmas box because apparently Mickey James is Harley Quinn at this point. Um, <laughs> and I remember that segment because it was the turning point for her because she'd been quite cute, she'd been quite, but she becomes vicious in this segment and she's like, I swear to God, Trish, if you come out of the ring, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat her down, I'm going to destroy her. This obviously leads to the match at WrestleMania 22 between the two of them. It's infamous uh, for its ending that has since been edited on any WWE Network showings of it, any DVD showings of this match, where where Mickey, you know, really attempts to grab the brass ring. You can't, you can't, you know, say anything apart from that uh, to, to win this encounter. Um, but what, what really intrigued me was how good a job Trish did of getting Mickey over because it wasn't Trish who was cheered at WrestleMania 22. It was actually, that Chicago crowd was firmly behind Mickey James, much to Jim Ross's discontent. He was like, he was not having it. He was not happy that that Chicago crowd were cheering James that night. In the aftermath of that, we forget that there's a sort of a little aftermath to this story where Mickey was dressing up like Trish before WrestleMania, so Trish tries to get her own back before the rematch at Backlash, where she dresses up as Mickey James and acts like Mickey James to try and throw her off. But unfortunately, uh, she loses that uh, that rematch at Backlash, which ends the storyline. Um, but this rivalry is great for me because of two reasons. It's one of the most memorable women's rivalries uh, in history. It's one that resulted in a true, in, in this era, a true headline one-on-one -on -one match between two women for the women's championship um, and also it was the thing that 
put Mickey James on the map. Mickey James became a star because of this rivalry. This was the last person that Trish really put over before she retired uh, later on that year. And that's why I think it's one of the best of all time. But I'll be interested to hear the thoughts of my panel. Dave, I'll come to you first on this one. Yeah, I actually quite liked what they did with Mickey James's character to start off with because even to this day, you know, not just back in the mid 2000s, you, you get a lot of, uh, with the rise of social media and the internet and stuff, you do get a lot of quite obsessive, like, fans, like, almost that almost stalker level. And it's almost like if they get rejected by their idol, you know, they tend to do quite, you know, dark, grisly antics. Yeah. Uh, and I think this sort of, this character sort of embodied that that kind of character, which was actually quite a good good thing in terms of storytelling. Because I remember Mickey and Ashley even ended up having a match at the Royal Rumble when Trish was the referee. Mickey James ended up getting the win. So I mean, Trish, I don't think she did she didn't do anything wrong. She was just carrying about her, her business as usual as as the women's champion. Uh, but the character development of Mickey James and the emergence of her as, you know, one of the top female superstars in the company, this was a good example of WWE building up new stars uh, with Trish Stratus on her way out the door later that year. And I think he, he was even summarized quite well with Mickey James's theme song, because I think the song is actually titled Obsession. So yeah. that, whole, that whole obsessive fan character angle was really embodied to the maximum. And she just portrayed it really, really well. Yeah, and uh, just uh, in real stats, man, Dave, uh, that mm-hmm. reign of Trish Stratus was actually 448 days mm-hmm. uh, as women's champion. So injury aside, uh, it yep. did last an extremely long time. So it was a big deal. Um, Trish, uh, Mickey beating Trish on that night. Uh, Stephen, do you have any lasting memories from this rivalry between Trish and Mickey? And where do you think this match ranks? Considering we've entered a new era of women's wrestling, do you think the match at WrestleMania holds up to today's standards? It's a really good match, to be fair. I think it it looks great considering around about that time period there was, let's be honest, there wasn't really many good matches in the division at that particular point. This was preceding like the, the quality of wrestling we've seen in recent years. But it still does hold up when you watch it back. I mean, as you say, David, the thing that always stands out to me is that whole the crowd swaying to it because that WrestleMania is well known for the crowd going off in different directions. It was in Chicago. I'm right to say it was in Chicago, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it Chicago. Chicago yeah. Yeah. yeah, who are well known for not, you know, following the face heel <laughs> dynamic. You know, <laughs> they did it with Mickey and Trish. They did it with Cena and Triple H later on in the night in the main event. But it's just like, it's it's a great sign that you you do the work with your character and something pulls off it. I do that thing with uh, Ashley stands out a lot. There's the vignette video backstage she does where she's in that room and there's all the pictures of Trish everywhere around the room with the candles on it you just look at it going you are a creepy bugger <laughs> <laughs> you are so creepy but it's she just is. like uh, you know the Mickey James character peaks in WWE during this period of time I, could, I would compare Mickey James to Chad Gable nowadays you know Chad Gable starts off amazingly in WWE as a part of American Alpha but they know he's a, everybody knows he's a talent. Everybody knew Mickey was a talent after this stuff, but they just don't have a clue what to do with him. You know, yeah. Chad yeah. Gable's done everything apart Aye. from be Chad Gable. Apart <laughs> <laughs> Alpha broke up. You know, to be, so. fair, to be fair, she did. She had a measure of kayfabe success. Obviously, she went on. She won her second women's title. Actually, retired in Lita. Uh, at the Survivor Series later that year so it's a, it's a good run from Mickey after this but Gary I'll come to you obviously the, the lasting legacy of Trish versus Mickey people still talk about it to this day evolution 
they were on opposite sides of a, a tag match there um, continuing that story the first ever Women's Royal Rumble they had that interaction where once again uh, Trish <laughs> does something that had to be censored off of most replays of the pay-per-view um, but what do you think Gary the lasting legacy of Trish versus Mickey is? Yeah, I think uh, I think the the main things for me there's two, two things one uh, as the guys touched on already that the, this rivalry helped establish Mickey as a player in the main roster there was no doubt in her talent and the second thing is that working with people like Mickey helped Trish get better yeah. at our class and I, I don't think we should underestimate that I think Wales there's uh, aspects of this story that does not age well Yeah. Uh, the fact that there was a story, and I'll go back to my earlier point, a story that was bigger than the title picture as well. So many of the stories we've seen then was, you know, person X wins a match or a battle royal or something to become yeah. a number one contender. Now we have an issue. There was a story here that was, you know, they didn't need the championship to have this feud. I mean, it, it, it was a prop within it, which was great. And I just think one of the... The, the crying shames of it is, you know, you mentioned the evolution part of it. Mickey's not held in the same esteem as Trish. Mm. And I think that's that's wrong for the reason Stephen touched on. Um, you know, Mickey and Trish coming back together, when was evolution? You know, oh, would that be 12, 13 years after yeah. the at Mania? That should have been a bigger deal. That was a footnote. In the in this whole whole thing, um, and oh, shock horror! A crowd in Chicago, Pennsylvania, <laughs> New York, Toronto doesn't follow the WWE script. You should pull that by now, WWE. Look accordingly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I, I'll excuse the evolution thing because it was hard. It was a hard situation because it was. It was yeah. meant to be the, the Alexa thing, and then it was Mickey and Alexa, and they did touch on it then. But then when you add Alicia Fox in it, you're just like, oh, okay, let's just get on with the match. You remember you said earlier on that uh, Trish came back from that six month hiatus? Yeah. Do you remember who put her, who wrote her off TV at the start of that? It was Gary Kerrigan's favourite wrestler, Big Vissera. Vis Vissera. Yep. Yes. I don't even have to mention the legend now and other people. <laughs> yeah. he just, he's just everywhere. You get to a level of success, Gary, and people do the work for you. You delegate, right? That's that's what happens. <laughs> you delegated the visitor role. Uh, anyway, we're going to move on. Uh, it is Mr. David Hockney who's going to discuss one of the biggest rivalries in wrestling history. It's Becky versus Charlotte versus Ronda. David mm -hmm. Hockney, over to you. Yeah, so this rivalry, it was a prelude to, I think, what was arguably going to be the first ever women's uh, main event match in WrestleMania history. And with the emergence of Ronda Rousey in WWE, you could tell that WWE had big plans for her, given that she was going to bring in a massive mainstream audience, you know, with fans from MMA and UFC probably tuning in as well. And at the same time, you already had two established competitors in the form of Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. Obviously Charlotte was getting a getting a lot more success, you know, with multiple championship wins by that point. I believe she was on eight by the middle of summer of 2018. Although Becky Lynch at that point was barely, you know, trying to keep her head above water at this point. But even though she was like massively popular with the audience, WWE just wouldn't give her that big that big break. 
And then, yep, and of course, the, I don't, you don't see this on video, but Stephen just displayed his Becky Lynch pop figure as well, just goes to show how popular she is amongst uh, amongst this podcast. But I think everybody in 2018 was clamoring for Becky Lynch to have her breakout year when she was featured, you know, on the pre-show along with Sasha and Bailey in the Women's Battle Royal. So SummerSlam 2018 was definitely the turning point because it was meant to be Carmella versus Becky Lynch. But then Charlotte Flair ended up getting shoehorned in and then ended up winning the thing, which obviously drew a lot of ire from the audience. Yeah. Uh, and this sparked, obviously, the Becky Lynch quote-unquote heel turn. But yeah, everybody loved it because she, knew it, she was just sticking it to Charlotte. And this was basically a rocket strapped to the back of Becky Lynch. You know, this is what kicked her into superstardom, you know, with this more uh, aggressive heelish character. But nobody was accepting her as a heel. And I think this was... Uh, this is what the fans were hoping for that she gets that main event push but she won't accept they won't accept her being a heel uh so obviously becky and charlotte go on to have a rivalry with hell in a cell and then as for mentioned the evolution match with the last women standing which is still probably again another excellent women's match that wwe's uh, knocked out of but i still stand that the first ever last women standing match in wwe belongs to asuka nikki cross so i wouldn't give that distinction to them but then obviously you know ronda rousey on the other side on the raw brand has been she's just won the raw women's title she's uh, put away alexa bliss and um she's gearing up for a big title def- well champion versus champion match against becky at survivor series and then there's the the infamous spot where nia Jax uh basically caved in becky's face and we got that excellent uh, moment where, you know, she's standing at the top of the ramp with her face covered in blood. And it's just an iconic screenshot uh, for the, the women's match. Uh, and I think the original plan at Survivor Series was meant to be Becky versus Ronda. But obviously the injury put the brakes on that because the original plan was going to be Ronda versus Charlotte at WrestleMania that year. But the um, obviously with... The tricky thing is, when you plan so far in, ad- in advance, especially when it comes to WrestleMania, you don't take into consideration the the changes that might happen, you know, out with WWE's control. You know, the fans' perception could change. Yeah. Uh, a new star could emerge, much like with John Cena and The Rock, with CM Punk emerging as the big star in 2011. Uh, but we got Ronda versus Charlotte Survivor Series, and you could tell that's when, you know, something flicked inside Ronda. You know, re- reality started kicking in. She started speaking out against the fans quite angrily about how she was getting booed. Yeah. And I also believe Charlotte Flair was penciled in to win that the 2019 Women's Royal Rumble, but they just couldn't overlook how popular Becky was. At the time. Yeah. So they gave the, the Royal Rumble win to Becky, and then this sort of sparked a rivalry between you know ronda being a very outspoken champion you know she's the baddest woman on the planet mm-hmm. and you know it doesn't matter what the fans think of her she's gonna you know do what she does and i think this is what made her really popular in mma ufc she just didn't take any prisoners instead of just being that forced smiley baby face character that everybody will love uh but the, the feud to mania itself it was it was a very bumpy one to say the least because when it should have been straightforward you know i think the plan was going to change to ronda versus becky but wwe has this habit of shoehorning charlotte flair into every possible main event uh strategy because she has that sense of entitlement you know being as the queen character it says well i'm i'm the queen i'm worthy of being wrestlemania's main event and then you get becky who's basically having to scratch and claw her way to the top uh, against ronda rousey who she obviously had a, a very bitter off-screen rivalry with at the same time so this had all the ingredients of a perfect wrestlemania main event but what i think sort of messed up a bit was charlotte flair taking the smackdown women's championship from asuka uh it just sort of got too over convoluted and 
I think that's kind of what made the booking let down a bit. But the storytelling from all the way back to SummerSlam and through Survivor Series, it made it one of the most memorable women's feuds of all time. And it was a truly historic moment to see all three of them main event WrestleMania that year. So this is why it stands out as one of my favourite women's rivalries. Totally, and I think you've summed it up really well there, Dave, um, and you've really went in. There's a lot of detail in this rivalry, you know, there's a lot of twists mm -hmm. and turns going on. Um, but I'll, I'll just touch on the big questions here because there were a lot of questions at the time. Stephen, I'm just going to address it to you right now. A lot of fans saying it should have been Becky versus Ronda one-on-one -on -one at WrestleMania. In hindsight, was the triple threat the way to go? Stephen Wilson, the big question comes to you, and you must answer it. And the internet has to know your opinion. Uh, no. No, <laughs> she should not have been in that match. I can get I can get the logic of why they put her in the match, because you've got... Ronda's, Ronda did a great job in the year she was there. I, don't, I say yeah. when she was there, there's no guarantee she'll be back, even though there's rumours she will be back. Yeah. But... She probably wasn't the finished article for it. Charlotte was the Charlotte is the she's the best in ring, you know that they've got pretty much. So putting her in that big spot was probably a, a ideal. I think the plan they did have was for Ronda Charlotte to be the match at Mania, mm -hmm. but Becky inserted herself in the picture. I know Ross Ross McLeod always throws it back to the way they had the WrestleMania 32 where Becky wasn't meant to be in the match, but she got herself in there, or some form of way that Becky wasn't meant to be in the triple threat. Mm. So it kind of throws away. But looking now that we've got Becky, she's off on a, a pregnancy, you know, she's set to have a child in the coming weeks, you know, Ronda might not be back. Charlotte might come back at some, at some week's notice. I don't Ronda know when she's going to come back, but <laughs> I think uh, they may have missed the boat on that big match between Becky and Ronda potentially. And it's a shame because the Survivor Series bill was amazing. That yeah. image of her in the crowd with the bloody nose is iconic, you know. I think that made her more yeah. than the heel, more than the turn at SummerSlam. I think that's our Austin 316 moment, isn't it? It's um, really the thing that got her over with the fans in a really big way. But Gary, yeah, we, we do have to forgive it in some way because obviously we've touched on Becky and Charlotte, last women standing um, at Evolution is an amazing match. It's an incredible match. Um, but I would I would hit back on maybe the the point that she was put in there to help elevate the quality of the match because as we know, Ronda was one of the you know the quickest people to adapt and she had good matches with with just about everyone for that run. So surely she could add a good one on one match with just Lynch herself. Well, I think so. I thought I thought. And think that Ronda was extraordinary in the ring. I loved some of her matches. She even got a good match at Anaya Jax, which very few people can actually claim to have ever achieved. <laughs> I, I think, um, I mean, WWE had made their mind up. Charlotte was due, it was Charlotte versus Ronda. Becky was not supposed to be in that position. Becky was supposed to have been dealt with, but the fans wouldn't let it go. It was like the heel turn at SummerSlam. Stephen and I watched that together. We we went mental when she lost the match. We couldn't believe it. And then when she started beating the hell out of Charlotte after the match, we loved every minute of it and got behind it. And if it hadn't been for Nia Jax, her again, uh, with, you know, with her big potato hand, uh, making Becky's uh, nose, we wouldn't have got that moment in the crowd 
and we wouldn't have been denied the match between Shar- uh, between Becky and Ronda, which should have happened at Survivor Series. So, yeah. that, you know, if that had So, thank happened, God for Mrs. Potato Hands. Aye. One thing I will say about this rivalry, though, is in hindsight, I actually think that uh, that injury to Becky was actually a blessing in disguise because Absolutely. we have talked about this before. Uh, like, And in hindsight, if we did get Ronda versus Becky at Survivor Series, there was a very big chance that Ronda was going to go over Becky, and that would have just deflated her momentum entirely. So I think best if Becky was kept away from that, you know, it didn't affect her too much. And with her, with Ronda getting the, the DQ win over Charlotte, it didn't take anything away from either of them, except maybe a lot of fans' respect towards Ronda, and then she uh, obviously uh, snapped as a result of that. Yeah, just to wrap up this segment in a lighthearted note, we've not talked about uh, that, that moment in Raw when <laughs> Charlotte knees Ronda through the car window. Oh, gosh, the arrest segment, yeah. Yeah, the arrest. Yeah, we had the scissoring. Shall we call it the scissoring in the back, back seat? Yeah. But I just remember <laughs> someone put it to, to music just over and over, the knee to the face. <laughs> it's hilarious. I'm going to want to pop that video after this. It was too good. Oh, but. Uh, last but certainly not least for this round of picks, we come to Stephen Wilson, which w- with what is a very big rivalry in the history of women's wrestling. Stephen, over to you. Uh, it's time to rock and roll, after it says the music was uh, I got to go with Trisha Lita. Mm. Uh, we can't ignore this uh, rivalry. We did talk about it uh, around about this time last year on the show. You know, on the podcast, we did one on the on day two, which goes into a lot more detail than I'll go through the now. But Gary mentioned feuds that are bigger than the title. And this one, you never really felt like it needed the title at any point in time when they kind of came together. I mean, I know David, your your favourite wrestler on the planet, Kenny Omega. Uh, oh yes, been... <laughs> followed his career for, for years now. Years. <laughs> Kenny Omega is very vocal about saying that a feud doesn't need to be something that just gets obvious. It can be something that has subtle elements to it over a long period of time. You know, many fans of New Japan Pro Wrestling will follow his work with. Kota Ibushi, I know this is confusing to Gary and Dave, as <laughs> a long-term story that kind of had subtle elements to it throughout time, but the Trisha Lita thing had that kind of, that was the kind of the one before mm. Omega and Ibushi, I can't believe I've said this on a podcast. <laughs> Stephen, it's, it's brilliant, it's brilliant but, what um, it was The two of them came together at a time, you know, where women's wrestling was an afterthought, you know, and there was nothing mm. to it, I mean, we just, it was just after we kind of saw a feud at Survivor Series 99 between Ivory and the fabulous Miller. I mean, yeah. come on, the Miller's in her 70s, come on to hell. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that later, Stephen, don't go into too much detail. <laughs> you know, I, I love Ivory, or I have no Ivory bashing in this podcast. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's a case of they just, they were, you know, they came in at different, it's uh, kind of valleys, you know, Lita was with S.A. Rios, Trish was with Test and Albert, TNA, you know, before TNA. But uh, <laughs> they both improved, they both, and they just naturally would like come together at different points in time in their career and have matches, they would team together. You always just felt like there was a point in time when there was a natural point that two of them would come together, you know. There was that that match on Raw where the two of them main evented, you know, the, the it was the only, the first ever female only Raw main event, you know, it's not the first ever women's match to main event Raw, you know, that was Lita versus Stephanie McMahon with Rock as the special referee, mm-hmm. you know, so, but this was just day two alone, 
going at it, you know, and the unfortunate part of it was that they believed another injury to Lita, which would probably derail that probably led to the the coming at different points of it, the injuries that the various ones had, you know. But yeah. there was that, you know, they even came together for that moment that David talked about earlier on with uh, Viscera taking out uh, <laughs> Trish because it was Viscera versus Kane. And who was with Kane? His wife at the time. Lita. Oh, I. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just the, they were the pillars of that time were wrestling in the women's division was an afterthought, you know, and it was fit that they had that match to end Trish's career, you know, the match in Toronto, you know, um, an amazing match, you know, the, the emotion to it. I mean, Lillian Garcia get more emotional than Trish. <laughs> and, and that one, and they, they have, they're always going to be associated in that thing, time, you know, we've seen it in the Evolution pay-per-views, we've seen it in anything else after, they're kind of, they're a team, you know, they're, they're best of friends outside the ring now, and I think that helps, you know, and, they are just, they played such a major part that it's often underestimated given what we've seen in recent years with the likes of the Four Horsewomen. Yeah, totally. I have to, talking about them always being associated with each other, I remember one of my favourite segments is a Raw reunion in 2007 and it's Gillian Hall who's out in the ring singing uh, before Trish quote Trish unquote singing back. yeah Trish Trish comes back <laughs> and uh, she's confronting her and then Lita's music hits and you think oh it's going to be a fight so she gets right up in, in Trish's face and Gillian's like hold on what are you doing and Lita just looks at her and if looks could kill Gillian would have dropped dead right there and then and both of them just take turns battering Gillian Hall before hugging each other at the end and I was like Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> but going back to this, Gary, the early years of Lita and Trish, I think what Stephen's getting at is like, they've been connected throughout such a long time in their career and they've been connected <laughs> throughout when Trish wasn't very good at the start as a wrestler and then when both of them grew into their own as performers in WWE. Do you think that's what makes this rivalry special is the longevity of it and just seeing how far both women came in that time? Absolutely, and there's, I mean, there's so much in this um, from some of the moments that you've just touched on, uh, the angle with Viscera, the the retirement angles, blah blah, you know, it goes on. What I struggle to to think that was the origin of this feud. I can't re- I can't remember what it was that first brought the two of them together, mm. but what you can see uh, is as it goes on, as you say, they got better with one another because frankly they there wasn't much to work with uh, at the time for any of the women um, they were not given much time they were not given much story to really get involved with they were really props at that point for their male counterparts by and large mm. so they certainly made the most of uh, of what they'd done and, and got better with one another and really laid the foundations for some of the stories that came in the future um, you know, some of the, the ones we've been talking about earlier on, there wouldn't have been a uh, Wanda, Becky, Bailey, Charlotte, and so on if it hadn't been for, for these two trailblazers for WWE's women's division. Yeah, and it really, it really points to the importance of them, Dave, when we see, like Gary said, so many of the current day roster name both Trish and Lita as influences and it's not just the character and the style of one 
It's the in-ring chemistry and the in-ring matches, and they proved that women didn't have to be a special attraction. They were just as good as the as the men in mm -hmm. between the ropes, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, it was a time where you know gender norms still had a, a place in society, whereas nowadays, you know, it doesn't matter if you're man, women, or anything else in between. It's uh, if you can perform as an athlete, you know, you should be taken seriously. And you know, I, I think we've said before on past shows where we talked about Trish and Lita specifically, is that Trish, you know, they, she started with a modeling background, uh, but she actually grew into the role of a top performer. And I think that's why she's such a big inspiration to a lot of female, uh, not just female athletes, but females all over the world. And Lita, you know, she was she was breaking ground for for female athletes everywhere. She was doing such insane stunts, like much like in the same way the Hardy Boys were doing when she was uh, teaming up with them. And I think that's what makes these two stand out so well. And you've got one who you know, who sort of grew into the role, you know, with no prior experience. And you've got another who was just breaking ground. And when you stick the two of them together, you know, something magical just happened. And, you know, when they had that main event spot for themselves, it, it was like, I remember that was one of the first, that was the first year I started watching wrestling. And I actually started to take women's wrestling seriously, you know, because every other match at that point was either really a cheesy gimmick match or something like overly sexualized. And it just didn't, I mean, it was good for all the, the young red-blooded males out there, but it didn't put a spotlight on uh, how serious female athletes could be. I mean, obviously, as you said before, injuries started piling up at New Year's Revolution. Lita, Lita had the knee injury. And I think we were robbed of a WrestleMania clash between the two of them as well because of that injury. But the Unforgiven match, you know, where Trish put Lita in the sharpshooter to sort of close her tenure in Toronto, it, it was, I think it was the most idyllic send-off that the two of them could have put on. It's a, it's a terrible sharpshooter, though. Let's be brutally honest. Oh, she was, she, I don't think she's ever performed the sharpshooter in her life. I think that was the first one she did, so I'd give her a I, I, wish, I wish she does it once when in Toronto. It's not like The Rock who puts it on like all the time when he clearly has no clue how to do it. <laughs> it's probably the, the, rock, the rock taught her how to do that sharpshooter, you can clearly tell. Um, we're going to ask you guys, we are going to put this to a fan poll for this, but everyone has to pick someone else's rivalry that you think was the mm. best out of these four we've discussed. Stephen, who are the other, the other guys here would you say was the best one? Bailey and Sasha. Bailey, Sasha, Gary? Uh, I'm going to go with Trish and Mickey. Oh, thank you, Gary. Dave? <laughs> uh, I've got to go with Trish and Lita. I, ha I have to agree with Dave there. I have to give this to Trish and Lita just because of the, the historical context behind it. So, yeah, but all, all good rivalries, Dave, even though the Becky Charlotte one didn't get a vote mm -hmm. there. You know, it's the first ever WrestleMania main event, so you can always hang your, your mini hats on that. Uh, but before <laughs> we go into the, the second uh, round here, we did have some fan contributions on our community page. Thank you very much for that, uh, for you guys. And don't forget, if you're listening to this, join that community page. Interact with us on there. Um, Jack Graham says it's got to be Trish and Lita, but, but who really cares about his opinion? Uh, Kwaku Aji <laughs> say Becky and Charlotte had great stories and matches, a very good point from him. Uh, we've got Sean Smith, who's trying to challenge me here. Um, he says, awesome Kong and Gail Kim, which is something we will be discussing in the second part. He then says, Aja Kong and Minami Toyota. Um, firmly agree with you there, Sean. Um, I'm totally behind you on that one. Uh, also named Sasha, Bailey, Lee and Trish, Trish and Mickey, uh, Charlotte and Becky, Charlotte and Sasha. And then he names AJ and Caitlin. Any love for AJ versus Caitlin on our panel here? That's a long, yeah, that's a long forgotten one. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh well, good for sure. Like he plays uh, a blinder in that feud. We <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have Daniel Campbell. He says, "Please let there be no mention of Brie versus Nikki or Charlotte versus Paige." Daniel, you shot yourself in the foot because now I've mentioned know, him on air. Mentioned <laughs> <laughs> uh, Grant McRobbie says he enjoyed AJ Lee and Paige back in the day uh, going mm-hmm. at it. I think those two him mm-hmm. carry yeah. a division at the same time as the Bellas and Naomi. Um, sort of that transitional era, really getting that evolution um, up and rolling. And then Scott McLeod says Trish rivalries with Victoria and Mickey James mm-hmm. aren't enough Ooh. talked about enough. And it, I agree with that. Victoria, yeah. she ain't LA to mess with. You know, in that hardcore match. Victoria, that hardcore match, which I think was at Survivor Series, was it? Really excellent. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so good, really good. And he also said for a recent example, uh, the matches with Jordan Grace and uh, Diona Perozo and Impact are outstanding. So if like me, you haven't seen them, go and check them out. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to yeah. move on to part two, um, and we are going to come back. Stephen, you are first this time around, um, and in fact, your rivalry was mentioned uh, by one of our fans, Sean Smith. So where, where are you going with? Yeah, I've got a bit left field for the first time in this in the recording I'm going to go with Gail Kim and Awesome Kong mm-hmm. uh, from the, the heyday of TNA Impact Wrestling obviously Scott kind of said we ended up talking about the more recent rivalries and that uh, but he had a time and it was around about 2007 where TNA were just starting to develop the, the knockouts division as they call it and they had Gail Kim in there and Gail Kim was kind of the She'd been there since 2005. She was part of uh, Jeff Jarrett's stable. She yeah. was the company America's Most Wanted, you know, with the the class act of James Storm and Chris Harris. wonder what happened <laughs> to him when he went to WWE, but less, less about that, the better. <laughs> For a while, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but she was kind of the pillar of that when she was in the main event slot all the time. So when it came to the point that they were establishing the championship in 2007, she was a natural fit to become the first champion, but at that year's Bound for Glory where they did crown the champion in a Battle Royal match is when we really started to see the first signs of a, yeah, a presence, I think it's fair to say, mm. uh, known as Awesome Kong, who they brought in round about that point in time. She'd been round about the, the independence. But when you saw Awesome Kong, you thought, like Victoria, she ain't a woman to mess with, you know? Yep. <laughs> uh, she got that kind of spot in that Battle Royal and it took more than one person to eliminate her, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, but... She was instantly established as the threat to Gail Kim following it. And what we got for a good few months after that one, I think it was about three pay-per-views straight, was these two women, Gail Kim and Awesome Kong, having that David and Goliath type chemistry that we you just love in so many professional wrestlers. Undertaker spoke in recent uh, days about how he loved facing smaller opponents like likes of Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle, Eddie Guerrero because they just mess with him so well and I think that's what we got with Kong and Kim. Kim was so athletic, you know, her WWE runs, she doesn't really get the, yeah. the bigger picture praise that she should because her WWE runs were never brilliant, apart even though she won the women's title on her first night when she was in WWE but the way she bounced about for Kong to make Kong look indestructible was some fantastic stuff and they actually had a a no disqualification match it was at final resolution 2008 and I think at that time that was the best women's match going I mean we talked about Trish and Mickey 2006 they were pretty much put on matches at a time where there was not many good matches going about but these two and this one they Eclipse. They, this match established to many people that the impact 
a TNA women's division was the best women's division, even though they'd only properly established it three months ago, and it was only really these two who were having matches at that point. So mm. it just shows that you know they, they 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 carried that division on their back for that six month four to six month period, and it's amazing to think that even though Gail Kim was away from the company by the end of 2008, you know, she barely had any matches after this rivalry with Kong. Yeah. But people still say this as the best feud that TNA have ever had with the women's division. And they only really had three matches properly. So you don't need to have long-term stuff. You don't need to have John Cena, Randy Orton stuff where they fight every pay-per-view for 16 <laughs> years. So you can have a short burst of time, something like this, and it works absolutely perfectly. And I think Kim looks great. Kong, you know, she would become one of the most fearsome wrestlers on the planet in that division for so long, you know. She's now one of the most feared females in TV as the welfare queen, you know. Uh, she had that stupid angle in AEW, which I just, we'll just ignore, but... Yeah, but she, they should bring her back. Like, let's don't get me wrong. AEW desperately needs all that thing right now. <laughs> I don't think she can. I don't think she can move. I got these uncut. But uh, uh, Gary talked about with the Trish and Mickey one. This helped establish, you know, tr- uh, not just establish Mickey, but it helped Trish look better. And I think this is another great example of it. Yeah, and it's not only did it make other people look better, but Dave, it's what Stephen's talking about there. This established what I believe is a very firm and proud legacy for Impact Wrestling as having at different, at many different periods in the modern history of wrestling, the undisputed best female division out of any North American company. Do you think that's mm-hmm. hyperbolic to say? And do you think that really started with Kim and Kong setting a really good president? Mm. Yeah, TNA's women's division was certainly what like NXT is today. You know, TNA's knockouts division was was the best women's division going in the sort of mid to late two thousands and Gail Kim and Awesome Kong were a massive part of it, you know, because as Steven mentioned, you know, you get two clashing styles, one who's sort of smaller and athletic and one who's the other dominant powerhouse. Awesome Kong was just a commanding presence in TNA. You think, you look at that person, you think, right, that person's got to be the knockouts champion. And But to, Gail Kim obviously thrived a lot better in that sort of TNA environment because WWE, I remember when I first started watching, you know, she won the Raw Women's title on her first night in a battle royal. But after losing it, she was basically relegated to Sunday Night Eat, and within about a year, she was gone. So you, you sort of blink and you miss her for her first run. And even when she came back in 2008, I was thrilled because I thought, okay, maybe the women's division's on the up now. You know, Gail Kim's going to get the recognition she deserves. Yeah. She never won another championship, and she sort of left the company again uh, in sort of disgraceful fashion, not like by a just out of frustration on her part, not because, you know, she did anything. Oh, uh, I loved it. <laughs> I love that how her first night in WWE when she initially came in, she won the title in a battle royal. And when she leaves it in her second spell, she eliminates herself in a battle royal. <laughs> There's another battle royal part to that trilogy. Uh, because when she came back, she'd been signed and it was too much fanfare at the time. People were excited about it, but then they didn't do anything with her for ages. And then I think she appeared randomly in one of the Divas WrestleMania battle royals unannounced. Mm. You know, often when they would have somebody like Kid Rock's thing and then all the women came out, she was mm. just randomly in amongst the crowd. So WWE can be summarised in those three battle royals. Yeah, definitely. And Gary, yeah. moving on from what we've said, um, do you think that 
this was really ahead of the curve and showed us what women's wrestling could be at a time when we didn't have it much. And do you have any memories uh, from the time um, of Gale versus Kong? Yeah, I I used to watch Impact Wrestling back then, and uh, I'd been fortunate enough to be and go on holiday to Orlando quite a lot over the years, and got into the tapings of Impact Wrestling at uh, at uh, Universal Studios, where your mm. tickets got you in for free, to nice. them, and they would tape like about. 19 weeks worth of programs in one sitting so you've seen a lot of wrestling then uh, I, I would argue you, you one, one could argue that the women's revolution was not started by Stephanie McMahon that the women's what? wrestling revolution I know it's brand new information what are you talking but, about? Uh, you could say that it actually started you could argue it started back here because the, 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 the two of these well, you, you didn't see anything like this in mainstream wrestling at the time you, you've seen it in the independence and so on but you didn't see the type of matches that Kong and Kim were putting on back then there uh, I was I, I loved these two I think it's a great shout Stephen um, I thought they were both so talented and I was so excited when they were both re-signed or in the case of Gail Kim re-signed by WWE that as the guys touched on already didn't go anywhere and then when Kong was signed uh, by WWE as well, I was excited about that. When Karma first broke in the scenes, I loved her, her move oh. music. She had a, a presence about it, it was different. It went about sort of the anti diva destroying everybody, but then um, she, she fell pregnant and her story uh, was stopped abruptly and we never really seen it again. And we never seen it again, apart from appearance in the Royal Rumble, much to the Chicago Michael Cole. Then, um, that so, stupid orange thing you used to wear. Oh. <laughs> so I think this is a great show. I think two incredibly talented workers, and it speaks volumes that actually Impact Wrestling uh, is one of the forgotten promotions now. Although it's, it's doing some great stuff now, yeah. that actually this is one of the one of its real success stories is the Knockouts Division, but in particular the the Gail Kim Awesome Kong rivalry. Listen, and I know it's easy to take pot shots at AEW's women's division, but <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Um, but, like, this, this just shows you how important it is to start your division off on the right foot. Because Tony can keep saying, oh, we don't have the ratings with these people. You know, we haven't got stars in the, the, the division yet. Neither did TNA back in the day. They put Kong and they put Gale out there, presented it as a big programme, presented them as stars, and they built a division on the back. To this very day, Impact is a smaller promotion than AEW, and I, who don't really watch both shows that regularly, can name probably twice the amount of female wrestlers in Impact right now that I could in AEW. I've had no idea who that Abaddon was until she showed up this week, but I can tell you that Taya Valkyrie's over there. I can tell you uh, the Jordan Grace is over there, Diana Perrazzo, uh, Sue Young, Susie, all these people. You know what I mean? Those are, I've barely even seen wrestle. And I think, I, I'm sorry going a wee mini rant, but it just shows that that mindset from AEW regarding the women's division is so flawed that it's unbelievable. Um, You're right, David, because Gail Kim failed in WWE. Awesome Call was a nobody in, in terms of mainstream attention when they went into Impact Wrestling. Impact Wrestling made them relevant and gave them the spotlight. Yeah. Is Gail Kim a TNA Hall of Famer as well? Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. There you go. 
Yeah, totally. Um, great rivalry, Stephen. Fantastic. Um, what a sad little life, AEW. Anyway, we're going to move on. Before <laughs> <laughs> I get too heated again, uh, it is back to Mr. David Hockney. And Dave, you're taking it um, at a more local level for this mm-hmm. one. Yeah, I'm bringing it closer to home, and I think we're all too familiar with this rivalry here, is particularly in Scotland. I'm going to choose Kaylee Ray and Viper. So, Wait, have they ever wrestled before? <laughs> I believe so, yeah, maybe once or twice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, I actually did a bit of uh, I did a bit of research, you know, going back to sort of 2010, 2009, uh, those sorts of times, and you won't believe like how far this rivalry actually goes back because. Uh, Kaylee Ray's first singles match loss was to Viper in March 2010. I think this was um, SWA Battlezone, uh, I believe it was. So, and that, that was, I, th- I believe that was the first uh, match the two of them had together. Uh, World of Sport as well. Uh, she was competing uh, for the WS Women's Championship against. It was a three-way match between B Priestley and guess who Viper, and uh, and she won that. Uh, some of the other examples we have, uh, you know, obviously, you know, they've had a massive presence in ICW. You know, they're the two leading women in the in the ICW promotion. In fact, uh, this was when Kaylee Ray won her first singles championship. It was the first females championship, and guess who she defeated? Viper again. Like honestly, the, these the rivalry for these two it stretches over the course uh, of a decade and. What this rival reminds me of, it's like, it's like giant haystacks and Big Daddy back in the, the in the eighties. In that, you know, these are the two prominent British athletes, you know, that have the endless rivalry, and they're, they're the focal point of the British women's division. So the the sort of the, the female equivalent of this, uh, of this, um, of the British wrestling scene. But I don't know if that sort of takes away from the fact, you know, there's, I mean, while there is still a lot of female British athletes uh, around, they're just, they've been never been any two more prominent than these two because currently they're both signed for NXT UK. They've had endless battles against one another across every promotion possible. But they've also had two sort of major standout singles careers as well, like with Kayla Ray, obviously, is currently NXT UK Women's Champion and has been so for over 400, and 400 days or so. Uh, Viper, obviously, main evented Kurrigan Hall in Japan, which is a massive achievement uh, for someone not born of, not who's, who's not Japanese born. And also as well, you know, with Kayla Ray competing in the first ever women's war games match. So they've both achieved massive singles achievements, but they always seem to end up fighting each other in some capacity or another, whether it's for a championship or a marquee match. In particular, uh, the Queen of Insanity match from Fear and Loathing 11. I watched that match back on the WWE Network, and I think it basically lived up to how brutal, you know, these two can go to deliver such a great, a great women's match too. And... They also sort of broke boundaries themselves, you know, having intergender matches, you know, with their their male counterparts. So what I think is really, this sort of is the British wrestling women's rivalry of the the modern era. And there's so much history to it too, you know, with the, you know, their friends turned enemies. And there's always a case of trying to one-up each other in terms, you know, you know, trying to be the, the ultimate female competitor in the UK. So, and yeah. I know, as we said before on previous shows, that we'd sort of lean more towards Viper in terms of what she's achieved worldwide. But Kaylee Ray, you know, is more or less on par with her at this stage. 
yeah, queen of queen of insanity. Um, I do, I do have to, say, I have to say, I, I get the big daddy uh, giant haystacks comparison, but it's just a massive size differential between even those three and then Kaylee Ray. <laughs> They're just like it's completely mismatched there in size. We'll start off positively, and for that, I'll come to Stephen Wilson. Uh, there have it is noted that there have been many excellent matches between these two women over the years. Uh, what are some of your favourites, Stephen, as a as a man who's followed the Scottish wrestling scene for a number of years? Uh, Dave mentioned the Queen of Insanity match. That is a blinder of a match. Uh, yeah. If you watch, I remember being there live, and it's just a case of it's quite a, it's brutal. You know, I mean, they had the King of Insanity match the year before, which was absolutely brutal. That was that was crazy that match. But these two, yeah, give it a really good go at it. We did. Uh, Kayleigh Ray always stood out to me from my early days of uh, going to ICW. I remember going to my first ever show. I went with Gary. I think I got Derek's ticket for that one. It was the show that uh, the first Shugs where Drew came back. And uh, Kayleigh oh, Ray. Aye. Well, Gary gets hit in the back of the head with a pint. It's amazing. Oh. <laughs> and uh, Kayleigh Ray teams up with uh, Stevie. Stevie Boy. Uh, to take on the NAK. She fills in for. Um, Davy Boy uh, from the Bucky Boy team and she takes bumps which were like I couldn't believe she was taking it out of bumps I mean this is obviously I'd been accustomed to just watching most of the WWE most of my time you didn't see the females take that level of bumps but yeah. she's an absolute nutter but uh, <laughs> I think uh, as good as this feud has been because they are kind of the, as Dave said the pillars of you know UK women's wrestling they fought in Japan they fought in, down in England for pro wrestling the Eve the likes of them I think the only one issue that's kind of lost it to them is the fact that they haven't wrestled that much together mm. uh, they've probably diluted it I mean I mentioned earlier on about John Cena and Randy Orton maybe yeah. John Cena and Randy Orton is one of the best feuds WWE's ever done I mean, other people would say that they can't wait to never see a John Cena and Randy Orton match again so <laughs> they have good stuff when it works you know but mm-hmm. Maybe the only funny thing is as well is that Viper often usually plays the face character in this rivalry and Kaylee Ray's often the heel. Like, she just carries it so well. But uh, in World of Sport, you know, it was actually the opposite way around. You know, Kaylee Ray was much more of a face character, whereas Viper was more the heel. And I don't know if that's just, like, um, you know, the because the ITV, because it was filmed, it was aired on ITV. And as we know, like, British TV, you know, whenever we're putting stuff together, it tends to be you know a bit it tries to aim to be a bit more family friendly so they try and define you know sort of face and heel characters a much more mm. much more clearly and i don't know if it's maybe just because viper was more the more the dominant powerhouse in that rivalry they thought oh you know she's a she's a big scary woman she must be the the heel as it were i have to i have to pick up on the point that, that steven made there and i'm going to come to gary for it gary in response to what Stephen said, do you think this feud has been diluted by its longevity? And especially with direction towards a company like ICW, do you actually think the over-reliance of, of, of local bookers in this feud has actually hindered the opportunities maybe at a larger level for some other females to get a spotlight in companies such as ICW? I, I, don't, I don't think there's any doubt about that. The the two of these as far you know if you think about the the two of them had a, a feud that culminated in NXT UK just the other well potentially culminated in NXT UK a couple of weeks ago for some of the audience that would have been a fresh new feud and for a lot of you know for the Scottish portion of the audience this is something that we have seen over and over and over again and there's no uh, no doubt at the talent 
of these these women and some of the things they have done. The guys mentioned the Queen of Insanity match and some of the things they did in that were just you know, a yeah. question a question of sanity in doing sorts of <laughs> things they did. It was incredible. And I think, you know, you look at some of the feud, some feuds over time, um and when the characters go through a change, you know, you get a wee bit of a fresh coat of paint, you see it, but they've been the same. So Dave touched on that heel um face dynamic. Sometimes when you get that, you know, the double turn, you can go again and it feels quite fresh and new, but they've really been quite the same character-wise throughout this uh, process. So I find it difficult to get excited at the prospect of seeing these two wrestle again. Um, And I I think, you know, we have spoke before on this podcast a number of times about the lack of depth in the ICW women's division. You need to bring some people up so they have some fresh challengers to go at. So if these two had gone off at different points along the way, gone off and had a feud with somebody else, and, you know, we talked about Trish and Leiter earlier on, Mm. they could have had a feud that would have spanned over years which we wouldn't have got tired of because there'd all these little side roads in between. But we've not really had that. It's just been one straight long motorway. Yeah, totally. Without much to look at uh, the side of the road. But I think Dave is right to bring it up. You know, it is, it's an important part of the story um, in Scottish uh, women's wrestling, you know. And it's yeah. hard to... It's hard to underplay the impact that the two of them had and how how over they were at specific points in time. You know, and they're obviously... Today. They're obviously cap. They've obviously, you know, they've sort of wrestled more for uh, independent promotion audience, but now they're both getting mainstream attention with both of them on NXT UK, and they've only had three matches in NXT UK so far. But I imagine yeah. there's going to be a lot more down the line. You got to look at Kaylee Ray's star. I think will continue uh, to soar even if she moves on from NXT UK. She was in War Games last year. Uh, mm-hmm. putting a hell of a performance uh, in, the, in that match. So, you know, who's to say what's next in the story of Kaylee Ray versus Viper? But from hardcore, extreme Queen of Insanity wrestling to one half of the Bella Twins and Stephanie McMahon. That's right, I am picking <laughs> Brie Bella versus Stephanie McMahon. And oh humble listener, you may be thinking, here we go again. David Campbell try to defend the Bella Twins. And to that I say, damn right. Uh, because the, the, while the Bella Twins, and Brie in particular, has never been a maestro between the ropes, we're not going to get a Bret Hart and Brie Bella comparison and what were they were able to do here with this rivalry was all about the storytelling, was all about the build to it. And for the first time in a long time, we had fans that were invested to, like so much in a one-on-one women's rivalry at a big four pay-per-view. So let me take you through the story. You might have heard of a guy uh, called Daniel Bryan. He did a little thing, won the, the world title at WrestleMania 30 against all the odds. You know, defied the authority, said he'd be a B-plus player. Then he went down with injury. You know, he went down. He went down with an injury, and um, you know, um, Stephanie McMahon was like, you know, you need to relinquish the title, Brian. And Brian doesn't want to give up in his dream. But Stephanie says, "I'm going to fire Brie Bella if you don't relinquish that title." All right. So eventually, you know, it gets to payback. Brian accepts his fate. But then we get, you know, some Oscar-winning delivery from Brie Bella. She says, you can't fire me because I quit. And she slaps Stephanie McMahon in the face. And what happens at that moment, people? 
is Stephanie McMahon getting physical comeuppance for the first time in many a year. And WWE fans saw Brie Bella not as one half of the Bella Twins, but as a beacon of hope that someone might finally batter the Million Dollar Princess on television. And everyone was like, yes, yes, yes. They were all behind Brie. Brie quit and Nikki started getting punished in, in matches against the rest of the of the, the Raw Divas division as it was at that time. And eventually this drew Brie back into the fold. She was in the crowd um, at a Raw show and, and McMahon returned the favour and slapped her. But then we see Stephanie get arrested and everyone again was like, yes, Stephanie's, someone's got the better of Stephanie, yes, yes, and yes. And we were all into it, all right? And then Brie said she'll drop the charges, all right? But she wants a one-on-one -on -one match against Stephanie McMahon at SummerSlam. And we get that great moment from Stephanie where she's like all apologetic. And she's like at SummerSlam and she knocks me off the apron. And she says, I'm going to make you my bitch. And we're all like, yes, here we go. How have they made Stephanie versus Brie one of the most anticipated matches in SummerSlam like modern memory? It was insane. The match itself was good. It was put together as you'd kind of expect it to be Stephanie playing the more sort of dominant physically dominant because don't forget Stephanie got them muscles you know she's she's Vince's daughter she's Triple H's wife Stephanie got them muscles she comes out in that that amazing attire and, and, and batters me for most of the match Brie plays the resilient babyface very well the crowd was behind her and it leads to that memorable ending where one Bella twin is either side of Stephanie and man like he pulls Stephanie out of the way and the bitch blasts being in the face with a forearm to end this one. Pedigree, one, two, three. And it leads on to the reunion of the Bella Twins and their rivalry wasn't what we expected it to be in the aftermath, I'll give you that. But as a microchasm in itself, the feud between Brie and Stephanie still goes down as one of the best in the women's division in WWE purely because of the fan investment in that match at the time. I'll come to Gary first this time. Gary, am I talking crazy here? Am I way off the line or, or, or is there some sense in what I'm saying? No, there is some sense in, in, in it, David. Uh, the build up to the match at SummerSlam was excellent. Yeah, and they were always going to be limited about what they could do in that match. You mentioned um, that uh, Brie had limited skill set. Stephanie certainly has limited skill set, although she managed yeah. to block the Ronda Rousey uh, doing an armbar better than any <laughs> in the history has ever done. Um, but that's a good point. I, I think where this falls apart is as you get to the end of the match uh, and the, I, I think the Nikki heel turn ruined it and I know it was done as a vehicle to then set the Bellas off to go and have a feud mm -hmm. from a storyline point of view I don't think that made a great deal of sense um, and disappointingly for me Stephanie didn't get her comeuppance yet again mm -hmm. in this one so that's uh, that. but I do give credit this was a, a, a I go back to the point I made at the start of the show it was a, a this is a rare breed it's one of those few rare women's feuds that did not involve the championship so I think um, the, the ending of the feud is a wee bit of dissatisfaction for me but up, you know everything else up to there I thought was gold so, uh, Stephen what did you think about the, the performances of both women uh, on the mic in the lead up to this obviously 
I, I, I feel like I'm hitting her beer, but I've picked this one. Sometimes she's she's known as the weaker of the Bella Twins, both on the mic and in the ring, but I feel they both did a solid job of building up to this one. Bree's the weaker of the Bella Twins in terms of mic work, ring work, <laughs> and entrance music. How dare you, Stephen? How dare you? <laughs> what Nicky built us is a, is a, is a belter. It's, you can't, it's, it's hard on that one. I'm not, I'm not completely slagging Bree mode, but that's crap. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> the lead up to this match is, is well done as you said David they managed to get people invested in a feud that involved Brie Bella and Stephanie McMahon which you know who would have thought that before team but no, <laughs> it didn't work with it though the, um, the the best moment the one is the one where Brie's in the crowd and Stephanie comes in and Stephanie ends up getting arrested that's the that's the callous to this whole thing even the one where uh, I can't mind the pay-per-view is it payback where she slaps her yeah. Uh, yeah. Aye, she slaps her and the place goes absolutely mental, you know. It's just, they've got mileage in a, there's always mileage in a feud that involves the potential Stephanie McMahon getting her arse whipped, you know. You know, yeah. you know the Ronda Rousey stuff was great for that aspect of it as well, you know. Everybody just wants to see Stephanie get uh, battered. Totally. Uh, and uh, they do the thing, would I class this as one of the best feuds of all time in the women's division? It's a hard one to kind of to kind of justify by the match. Although I like Gary was quite disappointed in the ending of it all. I mean, the, the Bella, the Bella Bella rival looked like a potential because we'd never actually seen it really before. Or yeah. in the point where they were um, on opposite sides of Team Johnny versus Team Teddy. Oh, at WrestleMania yeah. 28. One of the right. greatest Mania matches of all time. Yeah. And also the Colognes versus Miz and Morrison. Yes, they were then too. Back when you know nobody really cared too much about the Bellas, you know, but. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, the Bella rivalry sucked. I'm glad we never talked about the Bella rivalry. I, I believe uh, Daniel, Daniel Campbell said. Nah. Well, Daniel said not to mention it, and that's twice it's been mentioned on this show. So. <laughs> what, what can we do? What can we do? Uh, see, I'm going to come to you. Um, obviously, millions of ESSR fans around the world have, have proclaimed the Bella show the greatest feature show in the history of this podcast. And on that show, we said <laughs> that um, Brie considered this her career highlight. Would you agree with that statement? I think, and where would you rank this in, in the moments of Stephanie Mann's in ring career as well? I can see where the I can see where she's coming from because it was almost like a follow up to what Daniel Bryan did against Triple H and the Authority. So mm. it was so it sort of felt like a continuation of that uh, post WrestleMania towards a Big Four. So that part of the story was actually told really, really well. Uh, the unfortunate part was it was just a really botched ending, and. Mm. Because all the potential was there, you know, to... Uh, because that, that's what WWE's re really good at. Sometimes they can tell a really good story, even if the match doesn't quite live up to the hype. And I think this is one of those uh, cases in point. Uh, and it makes Brie sort of stand out as more of a single star herself, when, you know, she's obviously you know, always competed with Nikki as a, as a tag team uh, most of the time. So, like, the slap, you know, which ended up resulting in Stephanie getting arrested was probably my highlight of this feud. Uh, particularly when Triple H went absolutely off his rocker, you know, saying the detective, show me your badge, show me your badge. Uh, <laughs> and he's trying to debate, you know, does he go with Stephanie to the police station or does he stay behind and watch the show? It's, it was quite funny to sort of see that and we wonder, you know, maybe will this play into effect uh, at SummerSlam, but evidently wasn't to, wasn't to be. Uh, and I will take, I will say this as well, Brie Mode is the, one of the worst entrance theme songs I've ever heard. What's, what's your problem? Life. <laughs> it's, 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 
it's irritating. That's what it is. It's like that. Um, every time I hear it, it's great. It's like it's like Baby Shark. That's how annoying it is. It's not Baby Shark. It's not Baby Shark levels are bad. I'm not having that. But, but it's, it's not. You can, it's not, you can actually, look, but you can't touch. Rebo actually, actually comes from Total Divas. You know, it's how yeah. she describes herself after she's had a, had a skinful. Like it's, oh, yeah. it's not something. It's not something you want to associate with a theme song. She's a fun drunk. She should have just had the ODB gimmick like, and just uh, came out absolutely slow. It's like five, it's like five drink Amy in Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? You know, just to talk about Stephanie for a moment. You know, her in, in career has been somewhat limited, even though she has had a uh, a women's title reign to her name. I think. This match actually showed how good she can actually hold herself in the ring, especially with the story behind it. So she came out looking really, really strong in this match. And it also followed up with the tag team match with her and Triple H against Angle and Ronda at Mania 34. You know, that was a lot of people's favorite matches that night, largely because, well, Stephanie got her ass kicked in that one. I mean, she still has the worst in her family from an in-ring perspective. I mean, Vince had good matches, Shane jumps off things, her husband's a legend, and her mother takes a stunner better than anyone ever has That's <laughs> uh, real wrestling. Uh, but if we want to talk about, if you want technical wrestling, that's fine. If you want to talk to really good in-ring performers, that's, that's fine by me. Gary, I believe you have two that we can talk about for this final stretch of the show. Yes, it's... Boss time! Yay! <laughs> I want to talk about Charlotte Flair and Sasha Banks. Mm. And I want to, whilst their feud started, you know, going back, you know, to, to NXT, I mentioned earlier on that, uh, that Charlotte, sorry, that Sasha was the one that ended. Charlotte's reign as the NXT Women's Champion when she beat her at TakeOver Rival. They had a sort of brief interaction. They were both part of the, the Stephanie McMahon-led Women's Revolution in 2015 when uh, when Charlotte was part of the legendary team PCB. Yes. Remember that, everybody? Oh, uh, Hall of Famers. former name, yeah. Hall of Famers is a team. And uh, the other team, which is no doubt going to go into the Hall of Fame alongside the NWO next year, I'm sure, will be Team Bad. Oh, certainly. Uh, with uh, Naomi and Tamina. And despite uh, having that saddle with her, Sasha went on to do something. What I, The bit of the rivalry, what I wanted to focus on was not the whole rivalry. What I wanted to focus on was their 2016 rivalry, mm-hmm. which started with a post-match confrontation at the Royal Rumble that year and then led on to the, the triple threat match at WrestleMania 32, mm-hmm. where um was probably one of the I think one of the biggest highlights for women's wrestling up until that point. After the match at Mania 32, Sasha kind of was pushed into the background a little bit, but what WWE did well then was they kept her fresh and there was an anticipation building for Hmm. Charlotte and Sasha to come. And then what we we went on to have was uh, two two things, a series of first-time evers (laughs) and the title being flip-flopped all over the place, which uh, generally speaking isn't a good thing. Uh, We had six title changes between the 25th of July and the 18th of December. Six title changes in that period of five months. But what I think it did was added a degree of unpredictability. So in that time we had uh, 25th of July, Raw, Sasha beats 
Charlotte to become the Raw Women's Champion for the first time. A championship she would hold for only 27 days because the title switched back at SummerSlam of that year. And one of the things I loved about the SummerSlam matches, we started to see Charlotte scowl, scowl and shout at Sasha during the match, I'm better than you. And then she'd shout to the fans that she's be- I'm better than her. I love that those little bits of work Along. They would clash again, uh, a triple threat match with Bailey at Clash of Champions, but the next match of note between the two of them happened uh, again in Raw on the 3rd of October, where Sasha won again to become a two-time Raw Women's Champion, so that's our, on a third title change. Now, this second reign of Sasha would also last for only 27 days, because <laughs> she was in a first-time-ever Women's Hell in the Cell match. Um, <laughs> Which was also the the first women's match, I believe, to ever main event a pay-per-view yeah. as well. So they would have the, the Hell in the Cell match, which uh, Charlotte would come out on top of. We would then have, uh, again on Raw, this one was on the 28th of November, uh, a Falls Count Anywhere match, which was the main event of the show, which I think was better. I think this was, for me, this was their best match. Um, which would start uh, Sasha's third title reign, and it finished off with a with a spot where Sasha apply, applies the bank statement on Charlotte through the barrier barrier in the audience, yeah. and just before that, uh, Charlotte shouting to Sasha, "You will never beat me," and I just loved loved that angle to it. Unfortunately, Sasha's third reign would last only <laughs> until the 18th of December. So we're now on that 20 days, 21 days this time, the third title reign last, where the two of them went one-on-one with, as Dave rightly pointed out, the second, uh, sorry, uh, you, you were talking about um, last women's stand match. Yeah, Dave, yeah. This was, this, this was uh, I think, the second big uh, Iron Women match. I know there'd be some previously, but the second one of note, um, which uh, which Charlotte would win three two, uh, winning in overtime. Unfortunately, a couple of things about this match didn't sit particularly well with me. Was Sasha the face champion tapping out when there was like two seconds left in the clock, and then dropping a fall immediately afterwards as well in overtime. Sasha's three title reigns in 2016. Um, Dave, you were probably doing the math in your head as we were going along. 75 days mm-hmm. they lasted. Uh, so much into that period between July and December, uh, packed in, like I said, I think there was a degree of unpredictability round about it. Actually, when you go back and, and analyse it, there was something predictable round about it. As Sasha would win the title and Raw and then drop it. <laughs> the next pay-per-view <laughs> I think this is a story a lot of focus just on the, you know, purposely for today focused in this actually you could have easily spread that out right over 2017 there's so much there such an intense rivalry between the two of them we had the the scenes at that time of uh, ironing sharp iron sorry sharpening iron yeah. Uh, as the two of them went up against each other and really sort of brought it out and every time trying to, you know, turn the dial up a little bit, I thought, you know, uh, a great body of work and amongst here, uh, an exciting story which came to its end uh, at a time, actually, um, 
it's always good to see when a, a feud comes to an end. Actually, that could have, you know, that could have had more legs to it than rather than just saying, thank God that's over and done with. Yeah. So that's why I picked uh, Charlotte and Sasha for my votes for women's or best women's rivalries. You know, they're both still about, um, and I think it's good that, you know, we would be welcome, uh, welcoming to the, the possibility um, of these two revisiting it. Uh, Gary, I think, touched on. Uh, the possible negatives of this rivalry and the sort of hot potato of the um, of the title, which is an easy criticism to direct at it. But Dave, coming to you, I think it speaks volumes that WWE trusted these two women with not only the first ever uh, pay-per-view main event, but also so many special stipulation matches in the space of one rivalry. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously the they, they're obviously paying attention to what they did on NXT because that's where they both started off. They seen that Sasha Banks was competing in Iron Women matches and you know absolute classics with Bailey, and so I think there was a lot of faith in Sasha, you know, to do sort of go the distance with these big long matches. And you know Charlotte Flair is just like a superior superior athlete in her own right, so I think they had a lot of faith in her, you know, to deliver something good. And I would actually go to say maybe the Hell in the Cell match wasn't actually my favourite match. My favourite was actually the Falls Count Anywhere match mm. because just because of the sheer brutality and the insanity of it and the, the finish of the spot with the, the bank statement through the, the guardrail or the, the staircase railing. Like, yeah. It was just such a creative finish uh, for, for Sasha to win such a big a big moment and but yeah i think gary was right when he said i think the one thing that let this down you know was the whole hot potato aspect of the women's title because it sort of takes away a bit of the credibility but i think the argument for that would be is uh, they just wanted to knock up like uh multiple reigns for both women because there was this i think there's a, a hidden uh a hidden message not to sort of but i think it's no sorry i'm blurring my words here um that's all right i think it's no, it's, no secret to say, it's no secret to say that they want Charlotte Flair to sort of become, uh, have the equivalent number of title reigns as her father did. So I think this yeah. was sort of like a stepping stone to that point. Totally. And you and Gary are in agreement on that false count anywhere match on Raw um, being your favourite, you know, moment of this of this feud. Stephen, do you have anything that you would want to highlight about uh, the feud between Charlotte and Sasha from this time? I think the Gary and Dave are went through a lot of the main points on it. Uh, I would agree with the two of them. The false count anywhere is the best of the, the lot of the matches. Uh, the finish in particular is absolutely amazing. So well done. So clever. The one part of the feud that I absolutely despise, I, I, the, the hot potato, uh, I didn't mind it too much. It was just the fact that Sasha kept losing on the pay-per-views and then winning on the, on the Raws, which was something. Mm. Uh, the most annoying part of the whole thing was the Gary touched upon it was in the Iron Women match. Yeah. Uh, your face is not meant to lose in the last minute by tapping out. If you're yeah. going to have the face lose in the last minute, you know, make it dirty, make it cheat, you know, do something yeah. that's a bit off. But yeah. to have a tap in the dying seconds and then lose so quickly after it, it is... Sasha went at the two foot. This feud made Sasha and Charlotte look great, but at the end of it, going into 2017, Sasha did not look as the same. She was nowhere, and I think it was a hard struggle for her to go through 2017. You look at 2017, I'm trying to think back. What did Sasha Banks actually do? Uh, the Bliss feud. Um, yeah, I think that was a bit later, was it not? Yeah, she did have the Bliss stuff. Uh, she had been a, she had made a 32 triple threat as well, which I think a lot of people thought she was going to win. That was 2016 though. 2017 oh, was a fatal four. 2017 they had, 
maybe a 33, 34 way, and then the the hints of the, the Bailey feud, but Aye. that was really it. Yeah, it takes us up to SummerSlam, sort of around the elimination. She, she, won, she, she wins the title randomly, I'm sure, at one point. And I can't remember exactly, was it Naomi it was or I think it was against Bliss. It was the SummerSlam match. She held the title for one day. She beat Bliss at SummerSlam 2017. Four four reigns over 76 days. <laughs> it's not so like, wow. They could have done something great with it. You know, the two of them could have looked great, but Charlotte comes out looking much better than Sasha. Even though at the start of it was Sasha gets the first win. That was the night of the draft as well. That was the night of the brand split. Aye. I'm sure or the night after the brand the first night after the brand split, I'm sure. One of the two of them, I can't remember that. I think it was the same night that Balor wins the qualifying match to get to SummerSlam. I do th- I do think the positive here is that we went through the sort of gang warfare aspect and this showed what the women's evolution trademark, you know, really could be. You know, it's, it's two women, one-on-one, personal feud for the title, main event pay-per-views, all that stuff. So I think there's a lot of positives to take from it. But to round off this second half and do the same thing again, out mm-hmm. of the four rivalries we discussed, pick someone else to vote for. Gary, start with you. Oh, this is a bit harder this time. I think um, Gail Kim off some Kong. Yeah, Stephen? For build alone, I'm going to go with Stephanie and Bree. Oh my God, I don't think I got this thing. <laughs> Dave? Uh, no, I agree with Gary, and because of the argument presented, I've got to go with Gail Kim and Awesome Kong. I would probably have went for, I think, Gail and Awesome Kong is a great one. I would have probably went for Charlotte Sasha because it did help course correct uh, that women's evolution era. But what a show today. I want to thank my panel. Uh, Stephen, have you had a good time? Ah, the guys voted for both of my feuds. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, you enjoyed yourself? I have. It's been a really good show. Really good to delve into some of these great feuds. Yes, yes, good stuff. And Dave, Dave, did you have a good time? Yeah, I had a good time, although I think we missed an opportunity to talk about Casey versus Abel. <sighs> Anyway, uh, so, <laughs> so next week, uh, the team will be talking about tag teams who should have never broken up, and that is hosted by uh, Derek Kernahan. He'll have an amazing panel to talk about that topic. Are they going to talk about tag? Are they going to talk about tag teams, or are they just going to talk about the Rockers for an hour and a half? I think it, I think it's going to turn out to more of a group therapy session. Uh, but we need to see where the guys. Put it's like space time, as it's turned out to be. <laughs> Uh, guys thank you very much for listening check us out on social media go and check out youtube channel the website everything essr and we will see you very soon goodbye hello i am the goat david campbell and i would like to invite you the listener to my new show over at eat sleep suplex retweets youtube channel and that show is the conspiracy theory where once a month I will be taking a look at all the rumours and speculation in the world of professional wrestling and giving the most important opinion on the matter. My opinion. Yes, that's right. Head over to Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Like, share and subscribe where you'll get a lot of other great content over there such as the new hit show, Quiz Showdown. But don't forget, check out my new show, The Conspiracy Theory, on Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Farewell, friends.